This is the North Carolina Food and Beverage Podcast, coming to you from the kitchen studios in downtown Raleigh. And now, it's Max Trujillo and Matthew Weiss. All right, and now we are back. For those that haven't, if you're just listening to this episode, this is part two of our conversation with Stephen Rivestello. Listen to part one to hear everything that has happened in his career and life leading up to the 20-year anniversary of On the Square in Tarboro. But uh, as we are kind of dipping into this second episode, we like to talk about things that are a little bit more pertinent to what's trending in, in the news and the food and beverage industry. Matt, you and I, we just got to go out and uh, go out, not on the town, the yeah. ladies, got a couple cocktails in us, got to schmooze with some people while we were at Coletta mm-hmm. in the new Fenton. What is it called? It's just called Fenton. I think it's just called Fenton, yeah. Fenton in Cary, which is, I mean, I guess like uh, to, to parallel it, it, it feels kind of like like North Hills, if you will. I was I, I said that exact thing to set somebody. It's as if they were going to build North Hills today and bigger. Yeah. Because it's super modern, but even bigger and just cool. And so in Fenton, I don't know if you're aware of this, Stephen, but uh, Scott Crawford, Mike Lee. Uh, Fort Prime. In, Indigo, Indigo Road. Indigo with, Road. Um, yeah. Coletta and uh, Oscar Nappy, Chef Oscar, who we're going to have in a few weeks. Uh, Ford Fry, Dram and Draft. Super Rica, right? Super Rica is, Super Rica. is in Charlotte right now. And he's coming from, uh, I believe he's coming from Georgia, coming up here with his restaurants. But then, yeah, and then Dram and Draft is a new location yep. there. There's a crew wine bar there. Big yeah. movie theater, apparently the biggest in North Carolina. The largest said. screen or, in North Carolina. Yeah. yeah. So the place is pretty awesome. Uh, and it's going to have an unbelievable beverage and, and uh, dining aspect to it. So pretty cool. Um, have you heard of it? No, I haven't. Uh, I'm kind of surprised I haven't. And this is always on top of all the stuff because she's out there selling beer. So she's, you know, yeah. always at new accounts. But um, I, you know, very honestly, um, with um, uh, kids and sports schedules the way they are right now <laughs> yeah. and the restaurant, it's uh, I've, I've been out a lot less than I used to. You know, we used to come up to Raleigh area all the time. Now it's only for like you know baseball tournaments. There's a lot happening. We were kind of I was I was talking trash about uh, Raleigh not having so much happening in the area in last week's episode, but but the surrounding areas are blowing up and like Cary is just kind of like taking over right now with its with its culinary scene. It's kind of the place to be. And I mean, what were your thoughts of Coletta, Matt? I really enjoyed it. Obviously, we got um, sort of a, a I don't know a. A smaller view. We didn't get to taste everything on the menu, but yeah. but uh, the service was excellent. Mm-hmm. Uh, atmosphere was beautiful. Got to catch up with Steve Palmer, the owner of Indigo Road, and uh, they were pouring some really delicious wines too, which was really nice too. So yeah. I mean, they have the whole outdoor. I mean, the whole vibe there is just great. And yeah. uh, um, I, you know, it's funny that you said that last week because um, my cousin. It's her, it was her birthday recently, and she's like, oh, I'm going out with a bunch of friends. Like, want to go into downtown Raleigh? Like, where should we go? And this has actually happened a couple times lately. I'm like, well, are you married to downtown, going to downtown Raleigh? Because honestly, it's all happening on the outskirts now, Carrie, or, you yeah. know, if you talk about where, like, North Raleigh or where Bendito is and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Like, yeah, exactly. don't get me wrong. Crawford, Crawford and Son, Jolie, Jolie yeah. Stanbury, uh, even Second Empire. These are all still great places to go. Yeah. But we're just looking for, like, what's next and what's what's new and what, what else is coming, you know? And so mm. it is interesting. Most of the development that's happening is, is kind of moving on outside of there. But we're and certainly not on Fayetteville. 
in, <laughs> not that, yet. in this area. Yeah, not right now. Um, but uh, and then what? What is this other uh, topic we had in here about? Green kitchens. Green kitchens. I don't really know much about this. So uh, you have a what you started a degree in environmental engineering. So apparently there's a lot of trends moving in the restaurant to try to get environmentally friendly green kitchens. I want to know if you knew anything about that, if you guys are doing anything at On the Square to make your uh, restaurant or your kitchen more environmentally friendly. Um, you know, we're conscious about what we use for um, you know, to-go packaging okay. and things like that. That's been that's been a, something that we've adjusted. So yes, but you know, if you're talking about like energy-wise, no, not yet. Okay. I mean, if if we had money, which you know, kind of all disappeared during the, the whole COVID experience, you know, we would think about doing like something on the solar side. We got a flat roof. We could easily put some stuff up there, and you know, those things appeal to me. They're just right now they're they're um, not, you know, out of the I keep, seeing, possibility. I keep seeing this thing on Instagram and it's more for like your homes. You, I'm sure you guys get them too because I bought an electric vehicle and uh, trying to be environmentally friendly, like all these solar walls, mm-hmm. you know, like they have the Tesla power wall oh, and stuff yeah, like that. Yeah. And a lot of people say that it, there's some bill in Wake County or in other parts of North Carolina that it's subsidized. I don't know if you guys heard about that at all. Have you seen that? No? I don't know. What about it? packaging materials, especially during the environment? Like if they're not recyclable or stuff like that. So have you guys switched? to a specific, more environmentally to-go packaging? In fact, I just ordered some stuff, uh, but it's just compostable to-go, you know, containers. Okay. Yeah. We're working on moving away from, I got them for our smaller size, and we kind of test drove them, and, and they worked well, so now we're working on moving them to our, you know, ex- exclusively uh, across the board. Cool. So, and yeah. just a quick note on restaurants outside of, we, we had a place that was like, really cool, bizarre, called Glass House. Oh, yeah. That's uh, our yeah. friends, uh, Sarah Abernethy and yeah. Chris Borson from Y Hill, Open which Max helped uh, get that restaurant off the ground. They opened that place. Have you seen the inside of that place? Yeah, I have. It's pretty yeah. wild. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's cool. with them. And, yeah, yeah. we have to check that out pretty soon. I think I'm going to be going there for lunch in about a week or so. I mean, they, they literally just opened, but I had to pick up an S from the airport, and she's like, oh, we got to check this place out. Yeah. And I still don't know what that whole campus is, what they do. Yeah, it's uh, um the, the, the research. It, it, well, it's a, yeah, but it's a it's like um, research for the food industry. Like they do a lot of like greenhouses, and they uh, they do a lot of tech for food in on that campus. And yeah. they're doing a lot of interesting stuff in the medical industry and the culinary industry. So it's kind of a cool place to put a restaurant. Yeah. Because of that. Yeah. yeah. That was just a side note. I, I just happened to eat there no, that, last week. That's, that's a great point. Yeah. We, we love those guys. Uh, and they have a great wine list too. I'll shamelessly plug. <laughs> uh, at Crafton, are you guys doing anything that's like uh, being green? different being green? Well, we do 100% compostable um, to take out boxes and cups and lids and all of those things. And um, I mean, we have conventional straws and that's just like. We tried. It's okay for straws. Yeah. Everybody complains yeah, about paper straws. We try the They're paper straws. Not, it's not a good need, yeah. thing yet. I will say the funniest straw alternative I've ever seen, and I may have mentioned this on the podcast, but it was when I was uh, back in Los Angeles last year for a vacation. We went to Paradise Cove, which is like this really popular beach cove with a big, you know, kind of big restaurant, and and you can eat outside. They had all of their straws. Uh, all of the straws were just large pasta noodles. Dried, hollow, like a like a bucatini, but like a bucatino, like something big and round. And I'm talking like, you know, 15 inches long, and and probably like you know, like like McDonald's straw size, yeah. like where it's like bi- like a big. And they were just putting dried pasta noodles in all their waters and sodas. But then after like 
30 minutes of it being in there, they all wilt and sag because they're like slowly, yeah. you're it's slowly the cooking the water. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, or at least dehydrating it. But uh, but I saw that. I mean, it, in theory, it sounded like a good idea. We could just do hot dogs. Again, yeah, I was going to say. The, see, they got Yankee Stadium. We talked about that. That was brilliant. Last week. Yeah. The hot dog beer straw. Yes. I mean, you're, you're yeah. into that. All right. <laughs> I'm a diehard Yankee fan, too. So Okay. Yeah. There we go. That guy looked like he was doing that for the camera. I was like, eh, this doesn't look like they randomly shot it. He was like all like posed a certain way. I'm like, this was marketing. This was happening. So? Yeah. Oh. What would be some things that restaurants besides the compostables could do that's more environmentally friendly, like well, for the kitchen? One thing you know, that like, like we do, and actually, uh, Chef John Childers, who's been our uh, our food rep, uh, exciting news about him. I will let him announce that at some point. But we always talked about no waste in the kitchen and like finding ways to redo whatever. I know, like what we do with all of, uh, with a lot of our citrus, instead of throwing things away when they get older or whatever, we dehydrate a lot of citrus for garnishes and we try to really minimize waste. We also, we pretty much do everything from scratch in the bar. Yeah. So like we're not buying prepackaged anything. Yeah. So, I think it's more, I guess what I'm asking is more from like a, a power <clears throat> perspective. Like are there new sort of dishwashers that are more energy efficient uh, or like, cause in it, if you're dehydrating something, then aren't you using electricity or I mean, or yes, something. Matt, yeah. God damn it. But it's like, ah, you I'm have an electric woke, vehicle. I'm not the woke police here. I'm just wondering. I'm curious. But could you've done. heard that electric vehicles actually take more like more of a carbon imprint by charging the the electric cells than just driving a combustible engine. So you thanks for ruining the industry. The, no, I haven't the, heard the that. world. I'm going to need to research that. Yeah, you're doing more damage than, than right. help. I'm well, you've kidding. driven your F-150 a lot <laughs> to find Mexican pizza at one oh. of the Darnit Taco Bells, and they're never there. Yeah, like what a sham! What a scam! Like Mexican pizza, they did Doja Cat. No. Okay. You know, Mexican pizza was like a menu item on the Taco Bell menu for a long time. And then they went away with it. They were like, we're just going to, we're not going to make it anymore, everybody. A few years back. And then as marketing works out, Doja Cat, who's, you know, the musician, singer, she like mentioned it on stage and like Dolly Parton was there or so. And they, they said like, Hey y'all bring the Mexican pizza back. And you know, that was Dolly Parton, not Doja Cat. But, yeah. um, and so I was excited. I'm like, Ooh, I love that Mexican pizza. It was delicious. And every time I've gone to a Taco Bell and let's just say, it's not like it's once or twice. <laughs> We've all know that it's Max's guilty pleasure. Oh. It's been talked about. I have never had, I haven't had a Mexican pizza since it was discontinued the first time. That's how long. Cause but wait, you're saying that now it's- They're saying they're, it's back, but it's, but it's not. Never it's there. always out of stock whenever you go. But like, okay, do you know anybody who's actually had it? That's the thing. It's it. conspiracy, bro. Yeah. yeah. Okay. This could all be by design. Yeah. yeah. You keep going back looking for it. And then you're just like, all right, just yeah. give me the quesadilla. Yeah. Like McDonald's could be like, oh, guess what? McRibs are around year round. And then you go there and they're like, sorry, we're, we're, out. There, yeah. we're out, we're out, we're out, we're out. They're just doing that to get you to drive through their window and then get some other crap right. that they sell. Like, well, I'm here. Hmm. Yeah. I came to talk about for a pizza, <laughs> damn right. it. So I want to see it on the Instagram. <laughs> has anybody actually in what, let's say the last, how long has this been released? Well, just right now, if you can get a Mexican pizza, tag the NCF&B, and yeah. we'll put up in our stories, we'll bring you into the studio, we'll do an hour and a half conversation about it. <laughs> what it was like. Next every week, bite. Yeah, I want to know every bite. It was bite. the best pair. <laughs> yeah, everything. All right, but, Mexican pizza. Okay, so the last thing, and this is this is going to be on like every current events thing we talk about, but you're talking about it. Uh, inflation. 
And, you know, you, you were talking about it earlier. Oh, well, you can't, you know, um, there's so many factors that go in. I, w- I would argue that there's a lot of factors that in, in wine too, when you're talking about tariffs and taxes and uh, abilities to grow grapes and then the gas it costs to get it here. But beyond that, uh, with with food, all these costs are coming in and you, right, you can't just simply pass it on to the consumer. Uh, or will the consumer eventually just be like, no, I get it. It costs me X amount of dollars per gallon for gas. So my petite filet is now going to cost X amount of dollars more. Um, I, I don't really have the answer yet. I hope that it is that it, there's going to be an adjustment both ways. You know, that, you know, the prices are going to, you know, ease up a bit and people are going to be used to spending a little bit more. You know, and very honestly, we talked about this in, in, in the kitchen the other day. You know, the, the restaurant model is, is, is flawed in many ways. Yeah. And, you know, I'm at, like in New York, you have these guys, you know, busting their asses in the kitchen. They can't even sniff, like, affording a meal at the restaurant they work at. Mm. You know, like, those, yeah. those things don't always add up. And, you know, it drives me crazy because, you, you know, you're, you're hamstrung in what, with what you can do. You can't, you can't just go out and pay every cook, you know, $40,000 a year to come in. And, you know, I mean, it just doesn't work. Yeah, I mean, you you want to in theory, you know, you want everyone that you work with. I mean, heck, I'm you know sweating my butt off with these guys in the kitchen too, and so I know they're working hard and I, and girls, um, and I want them you know to be compensated, but then you're limited on what you can do. Yeah, and that part gets frustrating. Well, um, the economics is what really you know it until you like either you know run the business as like a manager or you own the business as an owner or so i think it's very hard for people to understand where money comes from and i don't mean to say sound like like being such a dipshit but like i knew that when i was in my early 20s and all i would just you know you'd want to ask for a raise from the boss or you'd want to you know why don't we put more money into this or you talk about like um, other uh, underfunded industries, like teachers, for instance. The teachers don't get paid well, but if they're so important, why don't we pay them well? Well, where does the money come from? Like, well, around it, there's just no money in it. So, like, you can only fund the things that generate revenue. And if people aren't going to restaurants as often as they want, and and they're having a hard time paying for food, it's like, well, how do we even how do we turn the lights on tomorrow? Yeah. I don't know. To take it back to my lane, as far as you were saying, oh, wine and simple, but it's not that simple because the same, you know, you say you say the, see the same customers and you have a retail aspect. Well, let's just take Sancerre for a second. You know, uh, many people know that the 2021 Sancerre uh, was uh, harvest was pretty much decimated. Like oh, you won't see. Couldn't get the kids to stop talking about it. <laughs> <laughs> people in the wine business, you won't see. I've been talking about it for a while now. You won't see almost. I mean, they're like they maybe were able to save twenty percent of the of the white Sancerre. Uh, Sancerre is a very famous population for years. It's been a stalwart of the wine industry for world class Sauvignon Blanc. Typically, in the last couple of years, you could get a, a bottle of Sancerre retail for like twenty four ninety nine. That was pretty much like the sweet spot. Um, but now, without being able to find it, and then with inflation on top of that, tariffs on all that, you're going to be paying like at least ten dollars more per bottle. You know, so is that simple? Or I think when when I said simple, it's more how you how you can react to it. Like the pricing, if the pricing changes, then your price changes, and it's it's really you know it's black and white from from my perspective. No, I, and you're not, right. Not from a producer's perspective. Yeah, they're dealing with a lot of the same things that I'm dealing with on the kitchen side, uh, as far as like you know they're all they're all the things that it takes to make wine are are more expensive, and you know but you know when unlike on the food side when when I place an order for wine, 
I look at the invoice. If the price is different, then I go on the computer and I adjust the price, price. Yeah. and it's easy. That that part's easy. But there's right. not like a threshold, like you know the the argument of the beard, right? You lose one hair, you still have a beard. You lose three hairs, you still have a beard. How many hairs do you lose before the beard does no longer doesn't exist? So like if the Sancerre was ten dollars wholesale, then it's eleven, then it's twelve, then it's thirteen, and you keep multiplying it up. When do you decide to say I'm not buying Sancerre anymore because I can't sell a forty dollar bottle of Sancerre to my local customers, like I have to do alternative things. And that's, I think that's part, like that's where a lot of times you, you have to play it in. That's the, the, the complexity of pricing out a food item uh, in a restaurant stems from the fact that you look at basic price points of what's acceptable to charge people, right? Like you're like, I can't in all sincerity charge $32 for a fried calamari, but you're like, but if I actually did the economics of it and wanted to make the, you know, three-time markup. markup on it or whatever, it probably should be, you know, maybe like 25, 30 bucks for fried calamari. But that's not realistic. So you, Stephen, take a cut. You take a haircut on the profitability on things because everybody else raised their prices. So you lose in the end because you want to retain your customers and you can't make all your customers lose. So then it's like the broken model of the restaurant just broke even more. Yeah. Right. That, that gets into where, and I, I touched on it earlier where you had to adjust your, your, your menu in other ways. And, and like, you know, when the customer sits down and look at our menu, they don't really see it, but you know, what, you know, you take away an item and then, you know, um, you know, you, you make a homemade pasta instead of, you know, a protein based dish. And, and there's, so there's ways to offset it. And yeah. that's, that's all, all we've been doing, trying to figure out how to offset it without, you know, affecting the quality of what we serve and, you know, the dining experience. Yeah. Uh, you know, and on the wine side, you know, then when, when Sancerre, you know, then you go to the terrain and find a, you know, inexpensive Sauvignon Blanc and, and say, hey, look, this is like a Sancerre. Right. So that's yeah, kind of the way, yeah, you just. Sony it, guts. Yeah. yeah. Well, <laughs> it's going to, it's going to end up being Chilean Sauvignon Blanc because that Torian Sauvignon Blanc is still going to be like yeah, 25 bucks all of a sudden. <laughs> yeah. But, uh. Well, we've certainly got a lot of questions, but not that many answers, but maybe next I, week. I mean, maybe that's one of the answers is that you just, you either, A, find alternatives that can still kind of parallel the flavor profiles of what you're looking for, or B, you yourself are using raw materials to create things that you would otherwise purchase. So you are working harder to just give something to your customer base so that you retain them. So like that's something notable and something that people should respect and understand like hey sometimes the restaurants like to get you that price of the thing that they used to just buy, they actually have to create just from scratch. So they're working that much harder to get there. So understand that. I mean that those are really the, some of the alternatives uh to get to that point, right? I mean work harder. Yeah. No, it's <laughs> prep it's, more. It's funny when you're when you're, you know, when you run a restaurant, especially if you're a chef, you know, operator. Uh, like I am, uh, and you sit down and you look at a menu, you know, immediately just start dissecting it. Like, okay, I see what he's doing here. Okay, so I see where this is there and there. And you see how the whole menu's going. At, at times, you're like, oh, that's brilliant. You know, I mean, clearly he's got, you know, a dish on here that isn't costing a lot of money, but he's able to charge a lot for it. It's delicious. And, you know, when you hit that, that's, I think, uh, something that's really in play right now. Those, yeah, yeah. those guys. Subsidizing your and, other and worlds. Yeah. Artists. Yeah, like dishes. Well, even like as a psalm, right? Like if I always took it as a, a badge of honor if I could find a bottle of wine that was, you know, kind of off the beaten path that I knew tasted great and was somewhat inexpensive. And because I spent the time and effort to 
taste through a bunch of things and seek out great producers that don't know, then I found something that was kind of a diamond in the rough for my customer base and say, hey, yeah, you might have wanted this Sancerre, but guess what? I found this crazy wine from, you know, Corsica that kind of has a flavor profile like this, but no one knows about it. This is a great replacement, and you're welcome. You yeah. know, that's the that's that's the artistry. That's the, the artistry of the business. The, yeah, yeah, smart business. We've always said it doesn't take a really talented sommelier to uh, find a hundred dollar bottle uh, wine that tastes good. You know, that's pretty easy. Right. Yeah. You know, but when you find when you do find the the you know the, the gems, the value, that's that's what I mean. That should be your job, I guess. Right? Yeah. As a sommelier, as a wine buyer, what hundred? Yeah. yeah. Cool. Well, thanks again, Stephen. Really appreciate that. And uh, I'm getting hungry, so. Let's go out to Tarboro and uh, eat it on the square. Stop and- by Taco Bell, too. <laughs> oh, uh. Yeah. And we'll get some of those beers over at Tarboro uh, Brewing I, Company. Yeah. If I go to Taco Bell in Tarboro and they have Mexican pizza, I'm going to, uh, you know, I'll, I'll ship you one. Seriously. Awesome. Yeah, I just I'm, I'm going to take a picture immediately and send it. I just want to see a picture because I don't believe they exist. Yeah. The, the Mexican pizza is the new uh, Loch Ness Monster. It doesn't I, exist. I have faith. Somebody in our, 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 one of our listeners or our followers on Instagram will find it. So, right. until then, go to Tarboro, go to On the Square, you will eat and drink very rarely. Thanks for listening to the NCFB Podcast. And if you've stuck with us this long, review us on iTunes and remember five stars are encouraged.